in a series of messages on the book of Proverbs, which are filled with wise sayings. But some of these wise sayings are what I would refer to as deep well truths, which may be difficult to reach. And today we're going to tackle the big wisdom need each of us have who are married, who are thinking about being married. And as I have already, I've recommended those books. You need some good resources in your lives. So these things will be helpful to you. Hopefully today will help you to not only marry wisely going in, but how to stay married in a loving, passionate way with your spouse. How it can happen. Do you know that marriage is on the decline in America? In fact, jewelers across America, in fact, the really big ones are changing the way they market based upon declining engagements. In fact, you may know one of the reasons why that's happening is young people especially will look at marriage and know the statistics are real. The statistics for Christians and non-Christians alike, non-Christians alike. So you don't have to be a believer to experience this. About 50% of all marriages, when you lump them all together, they end in divorce. No one wants to sign up for that heartbreak. No one wants to be a statistic on their marriage day. So today we're going to tackle how to uncover marital wisdom from the book of Proverbs, but we're not going to stay in the book of Proverbs. We're going to move out and look at the broader counsel of God's Word. All right, let's stand to our feet. We're going to honor God by the reading of His Word. Now, as we do, just as a reminder, we're learning a new habit. And that new habit is I'm going to read, and I'll say the Word of the Lord, and you will reply with, Yeah, I like it. That's good. Proverbs 24 In honor of God in the reading of his word, look at verse 3 and 4. By wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. We have all kinds of situations in the room today. People who are single would like to be married but are not. People who are single who don't want any part of it. Individuals who could also find themselves this morning as married couples feeling like they, in, they, were, they were going to the promised land when they got married and now they feel like a worn, torn, bombed out country. And I don't know how they got there. How do we uncover from God's Word? What does God's Word teach us about the wisdom of marrying well and staying married wisely with passionate love? What do you got to go after? What do we need to pursue? What essentials must we go to in order to have that biblical wisdom for marrying? So jumping right in today, I want to show you, and I want you to understand that we're going to look at Proverbs, but we're going to move out to look at the broader counsel of God's Word about what does God's Word say. And this one sermon will not prepare you well to be married, nor will it keep you married 
in passion and married well. What it will do, hopefully, is whet your appetite for what God can do if you are willing to let God do it in your life. So we're going to talk about today, what are these essentials? What are these things that you got to go after so that you get the biblical wisdom? First, I believe that God's word counsels us to pursue purpose before you pursue a mate. Proverbs promises or Proverbs promotes that you plan well before you get married. So pursuing purpose means that you got to ask yourself a question. Where am I going in life? Where am I headed? And if you're unsure, I ask you a second question. How are you even going to know if you arrive if you don't know where you're going? Some say or may say, you know, I really am not sure, but I know I don't want to go it alone. Somehow we will figure this out better together. And all of this sounds perfectly reasonable in our heads and it trickles into our emotions. Well, yeah, kind of, almost. Any of us can be idiotic, not knowing what to do. But I'll contend this, that God's word shows us in the whole council that one of the most unloving things that you can do to someone is to enter into a relationship, a committed relationship with little or no direction. I believe that all truth is God's truth. And I know that we can understand a few things from statistics and I think you can make statistics say whatever you want them to say. But know this, that couples that enter marriage, when they start off, when they enter marriage in present day, if they are earning less than $50,000 a year as a household, statistics shows us they're 37% more likely to divorce. Now, this is not to say that you should not get married if you're not making $30,000 a year. What it is to say is that you've got to think about where are we going? And do we have a plan? Do I have a job? Can I support my mate? Amy and I left a $30,000 a year job many years ago to go to a $16,000 a year job. And it was hard, but we had a tight budget. And it was a lot harder than we anticipated. All I'm saying is this. If you don't know where you're going and you don't have a plan for supporting, you're going to be in trouble quickly. You need more purpose than just being married. More purpose. And I see young Christians do this as well. I see young Christians who come together and, and they, they, they see this person and they, they care about them. They want a relationship with them and they're tempted sexually and they think, you know what, we've, we, we, we've blown it, we've messed up, oh, we just got to get married. So, so our sex is legal before God. You need more purpose than being married. You need more purpose than fun. You need more purpose 
than God's blessing on sex to be married. Let me show you. Let me show you what God's word shows. Actually, from the very beginning. Do you know that God's word shows us that God gave Adam and Eve purpose before they were husband and wife? Genesis 1, 26 and 28, Genesis chapter 2, verses 19 and 20, we see man and woman in the garden. They were deployed to duties of having dominion over creation, to cultivating, to doing work before they were brought together as husband and wife. Oneness follows responsibility. Third, now this one's going to... Hit close to home, all right? Because it's so prevalent in our culture and it's so appealing. Don't marry a person that is seeking their soulmate. When you or when someone that you care about speaks this way, I want you to know what you're actually hearing. You're actually hearing, I am needy. I need somebody else in my life to complete me. And it sounds so good. It's so romantic. But, but it's foolish. It's foolish. This is not what God's word says. And it's foolish because we see what happens in Genesis chapter 3. Human beings find their way to sin. And human beings are going to fall short of what they need. And it just gets worse and sometimes worse. It doesn't take us very long when we look at God's word that human beings mess up and we are in need of more. You will never be enough for somebody else. Why? Because you were never intended to complete another human being. Yes, You can compliment another human being, but you're never going to fully meet the needs. It's really too much to ask of someone else. And if you're asking some of that of someone else, you are asking too much. And if someone else is asking that of you, you need to know that is not what God's word teaches. Too much is being asked. And this is why we struggle. See, we, we start off, we, we take what we think is absolutely needed to fulfill us, a partner, and then comes the reality. Let's see if this sounds familiar. Here comes the reality. The smells. The literal smells and the figurative smells of your mate. The unflattering clothes, no makeup, toilet seats up, toothpaste squeezed in the wrong place from the tube. That's right, brother. You've been there. All right. My wife, I thought was going to hang me by my toes for the first year of our marriage. Because I just grabbed and squeezed. That's not the way you're supposed to do it. And to make matters worse, we suddenly discover that the happiness we wanted is more elusive than we thought. And then, then we start looking back and we think, oh, I got married to be happy. I got married because I needed this person in my life to be happy. 
And you are, but it's not for long. We expect other people to give us meaning. We expect other people to fulfill us, to provide what we need. Actually, if you hear me, you're hearing, we want other people to give to what? Us. And I think sometimes we just have to stop and say, we have it wrong. We're just wrong. There's nothing wrong with being ignorant to one degree. But as I've said before, stupidity is to the bone. That's staying that way. You are not intended to stay there. We are intended to grow. We need wisdom. We need to mine it. We need to establish a foundation that marriage is more about more than sexual and emotional fulfillment. No, it's not a business partnership, but it's way more than what we have maybe made it out to be. It is Proverbs 24, 3 and 4. Wisdom builds the house. You were designed for more. You were designed to glorify God as your ultimate purpose. Matthew 5, 16, Jesus said, In the same way, let your light so shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Your life, your life today, whether you're single or married, is for so much more than you. If you're considering marriage, you need to know that that partner that you're considering, that person you are longing for, praying for, is, it's about so much more than what you're going to get. It's about what you are called to give. See, God, God has saved us to bring us into a relationship, and he hardwires us for more than your happiness of getting. He's hardwired you to constantly be seeking something else. But we resist it. We resist the idea that it's not about us. It's not about us. It's not about us. You were created to make the name of Jesus famous, to live life before others with a view of shining the light. And this is about you giving your life. And you need to remember, you don't have to be married to do this. You really don't. In fact, the only perfect person who ever lived was single. That was Jesus. He's single. The Apostle Paul who wrote much of the New Testament was single. Single or married, you were designed for more than an identity of being single or an identity of being married. So much more. If we are going to find wisdom, if we are going to pursue it, if we're going to acquire it, Secondly, you must build upon the only sure foundation that will support it. We live in a culture where the attitudes around marriage really floats in the extremes. Let me show what I'm going to mean. One extreme that we find today is what I would call the minimization of marriage. That it's no longer important, has zero cultural meaning in a postmodern age. The National Marriage Project surveyed more than 1,000 singles, and 52% agreed 
that they see so few happy marriages that they question it as a way of life. Since 2014, for the first time in America, there are more single adults than married ones. It's easy to meet people, more easy than it's ever been to meet someone. Let me just, let me just take you a little trip back. Let's go back 120 years, just 120 years, two generations. You likely live, would live in a place where your choices of people to marry were very limited. Village, 20 or 30 people around you. You walked or rode a horse wherever you went. There's no cars, no planes, and no social media. No pictures to look at and scroll through to figure out who, who. No, it was right there. There are more choices today than ever, but fewer people percentage-wise entering into that relationship. It seems to be easy. It's also easy to conclude for our young people, I want more than what they have to offer and certainly more than what you've seen in other people you know. Maybe mom and dad, maybe other couples, aunts, uncles, friends, loved ones. In order for us to find wisdom, we've got to build on something beyond the emotions and on the looks of someone else. And then on the other extreme, we have more single people today than ever because frankly, they find themselves wanting it so much. One of the things that they're, they're struggling with, they want it so much and they can't quite find what they're looking for. They can't find the fit. And sometimes we're uh, tempted to place such value in a perfect marriage that we don't want to be a statistic that we spend uh, all of our pursuit looking for this perfect match and it just doesn't come together. And so heartbroken and lonely men and women find themselves today wanting a partner and cannot find them. Our standards for what we want and what we find, no matter how broad the options may be, just won't come together. And then there are those of you who sit here today and you're already married. And the married sometimes look at their marriages and they wonder, how, how, how did we get where we are? How did we get here? How, how did we become strangers? How do we become business partners in parenting? How do we become like roommates passing one another? Where is the love gone? Where is the conversation gone? Where is the trust? Why do we stare at our phones instead of talking to one another? Why do we do that? Marital wisdom requires us to see that building a marriage is a whole lot like building a house. That's what he's talking about in Proverbs 24. It requires time. It requires getting the foundation established. The right foundation. And the right foundation from a scriptural standpoint is not a purely emotional one, but one that flows from pursuing and working toward knowing and applying more truth. Truth to your life applied in how you live. What did Jesus say? In John 8, 32, if you abide in my word, 
If you abide in my word, you're truly a disciple of mine, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall what? Make you what? Free. Truth in your life applied in how you relate to others will help you form marital wisdom. I know a little bit about housing. Those of you who know me, they, you know that I spent 17 years in new construction and all, doing all facets of things. And building a house requires the right framing and the right support structures. Marriage is a lot like that. One of the best illustrations you'll find is on the back of your bulletin, especially for our kids. It's an A-frame house. A-frame homes have steep pitch roofs. They handle snow well. They're easy and efficient to build. Very popular after the 50s in America. And the roof, the right side and the left, they support one another as they lean against one another. Just like husband and wife. One supporting the other. The problem, everybody look at me right here a second. The problem is we enter marriage thinking that's exactly the way to do it. That's it. Because there's truth there. One is needed to the other. One supports the other. But know this, the foundation supports what? Both of them. And the foundation is Jesus Christ. The foundation that supports G is Jesus. He's the only sure foundation that lasts. He does not move and he does not change. Matthew 7, 24, Jesus said, everyone who hears the word, these words of mine and does them. So it's not just hearing it and pitching it aside and running after your emotions. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a man who builds his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the wind blew and beat against that house. But it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. What is your love relationship founded on? What is supporting both? Yes, you may lean and need to lean one on the other. And some of you may have forgotten how to do that. But no one understand that the sure foundation that does not move is Jesus Christ, and he supports both of you. Back in the day when I was selling, we, used, we were told, take people into kitchens, kitchens and master bedrooms and baths. That's what sells house. That's where the sizzle is, kitchens and master bedrooms and baths. And sizzle may sell, but know this, the right foundation supports. That's what keeps it. It's got to be built right. You must build upon the only sure foundation of support. Thirdly, if you want wisdom, it calls you to prioritize character over Kool-Aid. Now, I say it this way because I wanted you to remember what this means. Character over Kool-Aid. Now, some of us to one degree or another are Kool-Aid seekers. My generation especially, we drank Kool-Aid. Before the fear of too much sugar, we drank it by the gallon, right? Lime is best, in my opinion, 
And it's always better with a little extra sugar and a little less water, a little stronger concentration. And we knew what we were getting. I mean, we didn't know exactly all that sugar was doing, but we knew what we were getting. A little food coloring for the eyes, some water, which is good, and a bunch of sugar. Girls and guys both, we love the idea of a Kool-Aid prospect of marriage. Easy on the eyes, sweet, handsome, pretty. Oh, he's so sweet and he's so funny, right? Sweet and funny. Oh, she's so sweet and she laughs at my jokes. We replace sweet with another word that the synonym for sweet is hot. They're hot. Yeah, they're great on the eyes. That means they're sweet to my eyes. Now, I'm not saying that has no place. But we typically look at that sweetness, that Kool-Aidness, and we think she'll never change. When I saw Amy coming down that aisle, I, and this is no joke, I thought, she'll never change. But she did. You know why she did? Because she had to live with me. (laughs) And she changes because she has to live with you. You and I need to understand even a cursory view of the surveys of why people get married show us things that we just need to come to terms with. All the surveys show that men value looks above almost everything. Women, when they're evaluating a man, is going to be asking, will he earn a decent living? Does he earn a decent living? But look, when you consider those things, have you ever considered that those two things are really centered around what they give to who? To you. What they provide you. I'm not saying they're irrelevant. I'm saying that they're not the way to solely build a marriage. It's not the sole way to choose a mate. Proverbs has advice for marriage, but it is not explicit about marriage. What it says is this, advice for both men and women. Avoid the man that is driven by his sexual passion. And men, avoid the woman that's willing to jump in bed with you. Don't be seduced. Get away from foolish behavior. Watch. Oh, here's one. Oh, I'm going to watch out for the nag. That's the word the scripture uses. It says it's better to live on a corner of a roof than in the house with a nag. Are you a nag? Watch for the man that does not listen to anyone but himself. You know, that guy can never ask for directions. It's just all about figuring it out himself. Watch for the man or the woman who is selfish. Watch for the man or woman who is wise in their own eyes. Think that they have it down. My wife, Amy, has two sisters. 
These girls were a shock to my system. One of the first things that I noticed when at, I, literally one of the first meals that we had together as we were dating is my sister-in-law, she would, before she ever took a bite of food out of her own plate, would reach over and take a bite of food out of her sister's plate. And the forks would be just going across the table like this, eating out of each other's plates and not eating their own food. These girls were like aliens to me. I never seen anything like it. I didn't get it. I was not an only child, but I was Johnny come lately. And so I had not ever seen anything like that. Little did I know that actually as alien as that looked, that told me something about my wife. It told me she would freely share with whoever reached toward her. In fact, today, and when Amy and I will go out, my wife will normally want to order one thing for us to share. Yeah. It has nothing to do with money. It has a little bit to do about just portion size. But it has more to do with her character of sharing. Young and old, listen up. Look for the generous woman. Look for the generous man. Will they serve you? Will they serve with you? Are they interested in giving time and attention with you and helping you? And do they help other people? One of the best ways, girls, to evaluate a, perspe- a prospective guy is watch the way he lives. Does he help other people or is it just all about him? The scripture calls this character quality the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is the place to evaluate others, uh, especially mates. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23 says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Does that, does that characterize you in your love relationships? Is that you? You may be sitting here today and you think, oh, Brian, we are so off. We've become, we don't know how we got here, but we're so off. I want you to know if you call on the name of Christ and he is your savior, the spirit of God lives inside you and he, he can bring this out of you. You are not left to yourself, and you're not alone in your marriage. Number four, you can build enduring passion. Yes, enduring passion through covenant commitment, not the fickleness of emotional desire, because your desires are going to be all over the place. Build enduring passion through covenant commitment. Now, everybody look here just for a second. I want you to get this down. Please record this. Just brand this in your brain. Your mate will change. And to stay married, you will need to build on more than your changing emotions with it. 
the ethicist Lewis Smedes, when speaking about covenant commitment and how people change, he tells it this way, and I quote. He said, when I got married, when I married my wife, I had hardly a smidgen of sense of what I was getting into with her. How could you know how much she would change over 25 years? My wife has lived with at least five different men since we were wed. And each of those five men were me. How many different men has your wife lived with, gentlemen? How many different women have you been, ladies, with your husband? We must build through covenant commitment. How do we do this? How do we build enduring passion? First, you've got to get love rightly ordered. God clearly shows us, Jesus told us what the great commandment was. He said, love God, that's the right order. Love God and love your neighbor. You are meant to fall in love and pursue love with someone far more beautiful than yourself, far more beautiful than your mate, far more beautiful than your girlfriend, far greater, far more, far more stable, who never changes. God designed you to love him supremely so you can love your mate well. You have a vertical love that equips you to love others well. Not only are we to love God, but to love, you're to love your neighbor. Who is your closest neighbor? It's your wife, it's your husband, it's your spouse. Your spouse is the closest neighbor, and quite literally, it may be feel like that's the hardest person for you to love. You don't feel like it because of something. Something has occurred. And you've locked on to that, and you have camped out there. And you're a perpetual state of camping there. And other things have added to it. You don't feel like it because of that. And your vertical relationship with God, you think is perfectly fine. But folks, please understand, you cannot be right with God and wrong with your spouse. Your personal relationship with God will never rise above where you are with your spouse. Even the most challenging situations, we must come to the reality we got to get love rightly ordered. We got to come to the reality that the greatest gift that you can give yourself, the greatest gift you can give yourself if you're serious about life change in your marriage is for you to abandon the idea that your husband and wife should love you more than anything or anyone else. Rather, I would challenge you, pray. And ask God to draw your mate into a loving relationship with him where he learns to love you best by loving God more. You want to be loved best, pray that they will learn to love God more. That's what changes you. How do we build enduring passion? Keep your promise of covenant love. Folks, we have so minimized marriage 
We treat it like a consumer. We treat it like this is a vendor partner. We enter into a relationship. As long as they're meeting my needs, I stay with that vendor. The moment they don't, I break, break my promise and I'm off to another vendor, another supplier. Shop here. They're not carrying what I want. Go shop over there. Sound familiar? But covenant promise love looks different. See, you're going to fall in love. And understand this. Nearly everyone, I hope you know this. Never, nearly everyone who shows up at the altar falls, up, falls, excuse me, shows up in love. Nearly everyone. But it doesn't take long before you fall out of like. Now, it can be little short periods of time. It can be long periods of time. That the like is gone and you wondered how did we get there. Covenant love looks different. This is an old word. It means to be bound together in, in Genesis chapter 2, when God says, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. This is a, a word, cleaving means to be like glue. It means chain the doors, there's no exit. We're going to love. We are committed to one another. We are entering a covenant to love. See, at the altar... We sometimes think, oh, they're so in love, and that they're promising to love. Yes, future love. Do you know what your promises at the altar are? That you're saying before God and man, I will love. I love now, but I will love. I will be faithful. I will give myself to you. Keep the promises. How does this happen? Well, Ephesians chapter 5 will show us what this looks like. So I'm going to ask you to take your Bible, turn over to the New Testament. In Ephesians chapter 5, I want to show you a glimpse of what this looks like. The word picture that Paul gives us what this is. Passion will grow out of a tapestry of committed love. And it has a look. Verse 25, Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, in the same way, say that again, say it with me, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Now, right in the middle of that, if you have the ESV, it says should. That word for should, some translations give the word ought. That is actually the most accurate word. He is saying you are called to, you ought to be 
actively loving and laying your life down for your mate. What does love look like? It looks like Jesus. And it looks like Jesus on the cross. On the cross, Jesus was dying for who? For sinners. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Your wife and your husband, they're sinners. You want him or her to be different? I want to ask you, let me just ask you a a very sobering question. You want them to be different? How much have you abandoned of you to see that happen? How much have you been like Jesus on the cross, dying for a sinner? Literature and movies for the last hundred years have given us an image. This has not always been, but an image of two people searching for their true love. That one partner. All the energy in the dramas placed on the pursuit of winning that person. Of them seeing you and you seeing them. And as the movies come to an end, have you ever noticed? Have you ever noticed they come to an end? And they fade to black and they live how? Yeah, you got it. You know it. But do you know why they fade to black? You also know that. Because the real work begins there. In the darkness. In the darkness. God does not leave you alone. He comes after you. Husbands, he equips you to love and to give yourself to your mate in a way that you would never naturally do. Wives, likewise, same thing. What do sinners need? They need forgiveness, they need redemption, they need hope, they need love, even while they're a sinner. Do you love like that? Do you love like Jesus? His passion for you came after you, brings you redemption and hope, and a love for you. And I would say, if it's hard for you to love a sinner, I would encourage you, don't get married. If you're not married, if you are married and you're having a hard time loving your sinner, it is a time for you to confess that truth to God and begin the process of repenting, changing the way you think. Wisdom to build the house on the right foundation flows out of the gospel. It's a love that transcends the moment. It's a promise of love for the future, a secure love that keeps you as faithful to you. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful today that you do not leave us without direction about how... how to pursue a mate, how character matters so much more than the way they look. But Lord, you've given us eyes and 
love. Oh God, help us. Help us to be changed. Help us to confess. Help us where we're off base. Lord, to come and place our our relationships before you. Help us to be changed by the presence of Jesus Christ in our life. We call unto you for help. Help us. In Jesus' name.